0: Basketball Jones, I got a basketball Jones, I got a basketball Jones, oh baby. Ooh. Welcome to Sup Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host Kiara and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with sub-media reviews. What's up, home slices? Thanks so much for tuning in to the very first episode of Sub Media Reviews. I'm Kiara, and I'm so excited to review Space Jam, a movie I remember so fondly from my childhood. Space Jam is the 1996 live-action animated film featuring Danny DeVito, Bill Murray, and half the NBA at the time, including one of the basketball goats, Michael Jordan. Additionally, this movie features some of our favorite Looney Tunes characters like Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Sylvester the Cat, Tweety Bird, and Porky Pig. As of the date of this recording, you can catch the OG Space Jam on HBO Max. Here are a couple quick facts about the movie according to IMDb. Space Jam is the highest grossing basketball movie of all time with over $230 million worldwide. This film is the debut of Lola Bunny, Bugs Bunny's love interest, and apparently the love interest to a bunch of prepubescent boys. I've heard the way they talk about her. It's pretty gross, so we won't go there. (laughs) But back in the 1980s, Disney Studios asked Warner Brothers if they could use some Looney Tunes characters for the Disney film Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which came out in 1988. Warner Brothers obliged and were under the assumption that this would be a reciprocal gentleman's agreement. But unfortunately, the management that was in power at Disney was long gone by the time Space Jam started production. So when Warner Brothers started working on Space Jam, they asked Disney like, hey, are y'all going to return this favor? Because we did you a solid on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But then um, Disney reneged (laughs) and unfortunately... This move annoyed the people at Warner Brothers, but it didn't entirely surprise them. So throughout the movie Space Jam, you'll hear a few digs at Disney. My personal connection to Space Jam goes back to elementary school when it first came out. It was 1996. It was a huge year for basketball. Michael Jordan was, of course, a megastar, and I Believe I Can Fly on the soundtrack was basically the song of the year. Now as a six year old child, it annoyed me a lot because the song was everywhere and it didn't really mesh with my sensibilities. It was very slow and inspirational and I'm like, I need something a little, you know, with a little more umph to it. But if you graduated near or around 1996, there's like a three in five chance that I believe I can fly was played at your commencement ceremony. And unfortunately, R. Kelly has messed up his legacy by being a mega predator. So there's that. We won't get into that. Besides that, the rest of the soundtrack is actually really good and features people like Monica, Seal, Barry White, and even Chris Rock. And also, All of these things together make this movie a hit. It connects basketball, our favorite characters, and notable actors in a way that was really cool and impactful at the time. I recall watching the movie so often as a child. It has like that silly slapstick humor for kids with some adult jokes and um, some of our favorite Looney Tunes so the whole family could watch. And I'm super excited to get into this review, so let's chat. So at the start of the movie, we see a young Michael Jordan practicing. Uh, The kid actor in this scene is named Brandon Hammond. And he's the same little boy that plays, uh, I believe his name is Ahmad on Soul Food. So we get a montage of Michael Jordan's life and career during the opening credits. There's a lot of flashing, so they probably should have had like an epilepsy warning, but... Anyways, playing in the background is Space Jam, a song, of course, that was made just for this uh, movie by Quad City DJs. And of course, it's like very, very specific, but it's like one of the songs that just kind of makes you want to jam. Um, (laughs) But anyways, the movie starts, we're at a press conference and Michael Jordan says he's retiring and he's thinking about playing professional baseball. So one of the things I noticed when I was re-watching this for um, this episode is that I feel like we don't talk about how handsome Michael Jordan is. I feel like in life, there is really a limit to the amount of talents and abilities and gifts that a person should be given. And it's like Michael Jordan has athleticism, business acumen with, of course, the shoe deals and all of the endorsements that he did. And then he also has good looks, the deep brown skin, There's something really like pretty about his eyes, even though they're just like brown eyes. He's one of the only people who can pull off a hoop earring, the only men who can pull off a hoop earring. We don't talk about how handsome this man is enough, okay? And that's probably because the people who are talking about him are all men talking about how much of a great basketball player he is. There are some things that just go above and beyond athleticism and beauty is one of them. Uh, But anyways, I'm watching this on HBO Max and I'm witnessing the remastered animation, which I'm very grateful for. And we see that there is an alien boss who is voiced by Danny DeVito and he has five cronies and he is running a failing amusement park. Um, in outer space called Moron Mountain and they need an upgrade. And they figure if we capture and enslave the Looney Tunes, they'll work for us. This is very interesting because didn't Six Flags already do that? <laughs> I haven't been to Six Flags in a long time. It is actually one of my favorite theme parks. I've been to a few of them. I've been to the one in Dallas the one in San Antonio and the one in Atlanta. And unfortunately I did not have a chance to go to Astroworld in uh, Houston before it closed down, even though I grew up there. But um, if I recall correctly, Six Flags does have a little bit of a chokehold on the uh, Looney Tunes character. So the fact that that didn't come up is kind of funny. We see that, Michael Jordan is playing on a team. I believe they're called the Barons. He's up to bat and he sucks. Even though the umpire is helping him, like giving him hints, he's still not doing well. And so there's a recurring theme that comes up in the movie about how people love Michael Jordan so much and appreciate so much his basketball acumen that they really are only telling him what he wants to hear and they're not really telling him the truth about stuff and they're saying like oh you did a good job when you didn't do a good job so (laughs) that's something that comes up a few times in the movie and it's like can you imagine that can you imagine having people so um enthralled with your work and so being such fans that they just tell you whatever you want to hear and as nice as that sounds, I imagine that it would become very tiring. At some point while he's in the dugout after his embarrassing failure um, at the at bat, um, he gets approached by a man named Stan, who's played by Wayne Knight. Um, you may remember Wayne Knight from Jurassic Park. He played Dennis and he was eventually eaten by the weird tar spinning dinosaur in the movie <laughs> but anyway Stan is a new publicist for the baseball team and he's supposed to be the person who takes care of Michael Jordan and make sure nobody gets in his face X, Y, and Z. He falls into the dugout and you can see the mattress pad that he falls on very clearly in the shot. And I think that is so funny. Whenever um I was younger, the local news station used to have a segment they would do every once in a while called Flick Flubs, where they would show you a scene from a movie and you would try to find like... Mistakes that made it into the final cut of the movie um, and figure out like what's wrong. Like maybe there was a can on the table. And then in the next shot, the can has moved over to the kitchen counter. So I always think it's super interesting when you can look at the final cut of a film or a TV show and find those little mistakes or whatever. So anytime I see them, I will be bringing them up. An alien spaceship flies by during this the whole baseball game situation. It ends up going underground and enters the Looney Tune animated universe. People don't know what the heck is going on. They all know they saw something, but they don't know what it was. We find that Michael Jordan lives in a regular neighborhood in this film. Doesn't appear to be a gated community or anything. He lives in a, a nice house. Um, it's not a Michael Jordan level house. It looks like a house that maybe like a dentist would live in. But for the sake of this movie, I guess they're trying to make him seem as normal as possible. Um, He has uh, three children um, who are actually named after his real children, but none of the child actors are his actual children. He has a pretty frisky family bulldog that comes up later in the movie, too. And unfortunately, like father, like son, Michael's son, Jeff, sucks at baseball. So they have that in common. He has a beautiful wife played by Teresa Randall. You might know her from Bad Boys or Spawn. And he comes home to see that the children are watching the local sports pundits or the national sports pundits talking about how bad he sucks at baseball. And so he switches the channel to Looney Tunes for the children so that their minds aren't poisoned against their father, I guess. And so uh, the main conflict of the story, of course, is that the alien boss, whose name is Swaghammer, again, who's voiced by Danny DeVito, needs a new attraction for the amusement park. They finna enslave the Looney Tunes to make that happen so they can make a lot of money or whatever. And so they have fancy alien weapons. They, like I said, they went into the Looney Tunes universe, but Bugs Bunny finds that they aren't very clever and he tricks them into giving the cartoons a chance to defend their freedom. The Looney Tunes feel like they could have an advantage in basketball because the aliens are tiny, um, have short limbs, they aren't very smart, and they have no concept of what basketball is because basketball is an earth thing. There's a black and white instructional video that they show to the aliens to give them some background on what basketball is. And this video is super old because there is not a single brown person On this black and white video, it's the whitest basketball team probably in the history of basketball. Okay, so it gives the aliens an idea to steal basketball abilities from professional NBA players because the video tells them that that's where the best basketball players in the world go. So the five aliens who. I don't even know if they have a name. I know the individual aliens don't have a name, but I don't know if they have a group name until they become the basketball team. These five little multicolored aliens go to a Knicks game in disguise and they morph into some weird sludge that allows them to enter the bodies of... Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, Muggsy Bogues, and Sean Bradley to steal their basketball acumen, which they store inside of basketball. And that makes the basketball glow or whatever. So the NBA players are starting to get worried because these fabulous basketball players don't have their basketball abilities anymore. And so the other players in the NBA are like, mm, There's something going around because people are just randomly losing their basketball abilities. Nobody expects foul play from aliens, which, why should they? Okay. So, come to find out, the Looney Tunes actually don't know much about basketball themselves. They just figured that they could wing it and beat. the aliens because the aliens would be so bad but once again they kind of get outsmarted and the aliens go to the basketball court where the Looney Tunes are playing and they use their newly stolen skills to practice and transform into these reptilian ginormous basketball team called the Monstars they are all very freaky looking And I find it a little bit interesting that they tried to mimic the bodies and statures and the faces of the basketball players that they stole the talent from. Yeah, it's very, (laughs) I don't know if they should feel insulted or what. But anyways, um, there's a scene where the Looney Tunes, of course, realize that they cannot Okay. That they absolutely cannot beat the monsters after their fantastic transformation into these super basketball playing monsters. And so the Looney Tunes drag Michael Jordan into the universe through a golf hole. What is a golf hole called? I feel like it's not called a golf hole. Is it called a golf hole? I don't, okay, my mind just went blank. But anyways, Michael Jordan was playing golf with Stan, Larry Bird, and Bill Murray. And he ends up getting dragged underground into the Looney Tunes universe, okay? And you know what? I thought Michael Jordan's acting would be worse than I remember, but he actually did an okay job. It's not really Oscar worthy before a guy who is pretending to talk to animated characters, he actually did okay. And you know, I'm, I... I don't think typically that when it comes to entertainment, that athletes are necessarily good in multiple arenas of entertainment. I feel like it's very hard to find, a professional athlete who's at the top of their game who can also act or do music. It's very hard. So um, I'm gonna give him his credit on doing an okay job on this film. So anyways, the Looney Tunes basically give Michael Jordan the gist of what is happening with the Monstars. They are able to clean up the gym so that they can practice. And then the Monstars show up and turn Michael Jordan into a man ball and handle him up and dunk him and call him ball. And then they almost killed Tweety Bird. And so all of those things are enough for Michael Jordan to say, you know what? We're going to play you. We're going to win. Nobody's getting enslaved today. Okay. (laughs) We see (laughs) this scene where Charles Barkley, who was just so dejected, sees like some younger girls playing basketball and he asks to join them. And then he gets his butt kicked by these girls and his pride is so hurt And it's like, did they have to be younger girls for us to get the gist that he really lost his abilities they could have been they could have been a a mixed a co-op team of girls and boys um but I guess like the the gender disparity made it feel worse whatever we see that the other players who got their abilities stolen are getting medical tests they're going to therapy and whatnot they're praying they're considering other lines of work they even start going to a medium who accurately tells them what happens to their abilities but of course they don't believe her because it sounds out outlandish. Back in Looney Tunes land, Lola Bunny shows up and she, you know, handles and crosses the crap out of bugs and folds them over for calling her doll. And for some strange reason, Michael Jordan says, I'm going to have to send some of y'all up to the real world to pick up my basketball gear. And it's like, Michael, why couldn't you go? Like, I understand that this next scene is like a cute scene in the movie and it wouldn't have happened if Michael would have went by himself but i feel like it's weird <laughs> it's just straight this begins like a silly scene with Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck to go and get his basketball shorts that he's worn during every game from uh, his college years. And I feel like this scene of them trying to go get his basketball gear, it was one of my favorite scenes as a kid to see them kind of skulking around the house and interacting with each other and interacting with the kids. I was like, wouldn't it be so cool to just wake up and see Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck like full aligned around your house that would be kind of cool and creepy but but mostly cool okay the cute little girl who's playing michael jordan's daughter actually catches them and she gets her siblings to help the cartoons get mj's shorts wrestled away from the family bulldog and the kids of course are sworn to secrecy and stan ends up seeing bugs bunny and daffy duck at the golf course because he's trying to dig a crater looking for michael jordan and somehow Stan follows Bugs and Daffy down to Looney Tunesville. They don't explain how. We have no idea. It was probably better for them not to tell us. However, it's still a gap, okay? They get MJ his gear. He puts it on and he's like, "Um, this is like riding a bicycle, okay? And so Michael Jordan is like, flying like an eagle. Let the spirit carry me. <laughs> that uh Seal song. Time keeps on slipping, 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 slipping into the future. <laughs> We're coming up on like the final part of the movie, and so the NBA season ends up getting canceled because the NBA is prioritizing the health and safety of their players. This is obviously a fantasy land because typically they don't. But if basketball players are out here losing their abilities, maybe it does make sense to like shut everything down to make sure there's not like a virus or a bacteria or something going around, um, making sure that they can't play basketball anymore. So it's time for the final game of the movie. The Toon Squad comes out and then the monsters come out like some thugs to like, Some of the most thuggish rap music I've ever heard. I actually don't know what song it is, but when they come out, it's like they come out like some thugs. Okay, the Tune Squad, as the game gets started, they're getting their butts kicked. A lot of the team members end up getting injured because the Monstars are kind of not into playing fair. And the first half is over. And it's obviously a blowout. The score is 66 to 18. And during halftime, Stan breaks into the locker room of the Monstars and discovers the secret to the alien's success, which is that they stole the talent from those basketball players. So they find Stan and they mess him up. But Stan's able to go back to the Toon Squad and tell them what's going on. Michael Jordan is trying to give these cartoons a pep talk and it is just not working. They feel very defeated. The score is like super bad. They're not doing well. Most of them got injured. They're like, "Mm, we're not, (laughs) I don't think we can do this. We, you know, their morale is just super low. And so Bugs Bunny being the clever guy that he is, takes some tap water and labels it as Michael's secret stuff to enhance their performance, if you know what I mean. And so they make a few steroid jokes, which is actually kind of funny. But it's like one of those situations when uh, Ron Weasley thought Harry Potter put that Felix Felicis in his tea during the Quidditch game. Sometimes all you need to know and feel is that there's something that's giving you an edge to actually create that edge for yourself. And so now the team has the confidence to play the game in their own way. And the Looney Tunes have their own thing. They're very centered around props and explosives and all that kind of stuff. And so they, you know, start in on their shenanigans and start playing the game their way. And of course they start scoring, right? one of the uh, shenanigans that they do is they use a fishing pole to grab the shorts off of the alien who's supposed to be Charles Barkley. And it reveals like the juiciest alien booty that anyone has ever seen. And there's a part where Michael Jordan is laughing at that scene. And I can see his face in my head right now when he smiles and laughs It's just so beautiful. Like that man has a good face. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. So More shenanigans ensue. They paint a red target on a monster's butt while there's a bull in the audience. And, you know, the tides are turning and the score is now 68 to 66. So the boss alien calls for a timeout because this game is not the blowout that he was expecting. And so the alien boss... Again, his name is Shaq Hammer, talks to Michael Jordan and they make a new deal. If the Tune Squad wins, the NBA players get their talent back. But if the Monstars win, Michael Jordan is going to be the Moron Mountain attraction for all of eternity. And it's like, okay, we're talking about enslaving a large black man in a foreign universe. It's kind of rude, but whatever. (laughs) Michael Jordan feels so confident in his team coming back from their point deficit that he has like a lot of faith in them and believes that they can win this game. But unfortunately, with this new deal, Shaq Hammer tells the Monstars like, y'all need to crush them. And so the Monstars start playing super dirty. And so everybody's getting injured. And these type of injuries are not like, Injuries that even cartoons can recover from, which I find hilarious (laughs) because all throughout the movie, like these cartoons are getting injured in different ways and are recovering immediately because that's what cartoons do. I'm actually curious about if that's damaging to children's psyches to witness hurt being something you can recover from that quickly. But anyways, let's not get into that. These are like irreparable damages. Okay. And Bugs Bunny ends up getting injured, trying to save Lola's life. And Lola is just so grateful that he saved her, that she kisses him um, and as a thank you. Yeah, Lola, I guess that's a good reason to kiss someone if they saved you, I guess. But anyways, the team is in shambles. They're super injured and down. And Stan gets called in because the team is so low that there's only four players and stan has to come in and be the fifth player and stan ends up getting smushed like a pancake while scoring a basket and he has to be blown back up in like looney tunes fashion and of course after they inflate him with the helium or whatever they release the uh helium tube from him and he flies all across the audience releasing some gas like a balloon and then michael jordan finally realized that even 3d people from the real world have looney tune abilities in looney tune land and michael jordan actually kind of gets mad at the looney tunes for only telling him this towards the end of the game when there's only 10 seconds left Mind you, the score is 77 to 76. And it's like, Michael Jordan, do you not remember the Monstars crushing you into a ball and dunking you through a hoop earlier in the movie? You can't blame the Looney Tunes for not telling you about something that happened to you just a few minutes ago (laughs) in this movie. You knew that you had Looney Tune abilities. You just didn't remember. So don't blame the Looney Tunes because you up here abiding by 3D world limitations in an animated universe, okay? Once Stan gets injured, they're about to forfeit the game, and then Bill freaking Murray comes out of nowhere in full Toon Squad uniform to be their fifth player. He's the ringer, I guess. And they do a sucky job of explaining how he even got to Looney Tunes land, and they cover it up with an inside joke because Daffy duck or Sylvester, the cat, I think asked him like, how the heck did you get down here? Or how did, how did you get here? And Bill Murray is like, Oh, I had a producer friend. And apparently Bill Murray actually had a producer friend who worked on space jam that actually got him into the movie, but that still doesn't explain how he got down underground to the Looney Tunes field. like, I don't know. I hate when movies leave gaps open like that. I feel like maybe it's not important, but let's be realistic, okay? Stan got underground down to Looney Tunes land as well as Bill Murray, and we're we're just not gonna talk about it. Okay, whatever. The game continues. There's 10 seconds left. Michael Jordan uses his newfound Looney Tunes skills to extend his arm and score the game-winning basket. Boom. And so... The Toon Squad wins 78 to 77 and no one's a slave. So that's great. (laughs) So once the game is over, Michael kind of big ups the Monstars head. and He's like, y'all can't let this man, Shaq Hammer, who is the boss, the alien boss. Like, why do y'all take this from him? And they were like, well, he's bigger than us. And then they realize as the Monstars... He's not bigger than them anymore. So they basically send him back with a one-way ticket back to uh, Moron Mountain. And the Monstars end up giving the power back because those are the terms of the game. And they return the basketball skills back to that ball. And Michael Jordan has to run because he has a game, surprisingly, in uh, like five minutes or so. And so he gets delivered to the game from the spaceship while i believe i can fly plays in the background and the little little aliens decide to become looney tunes or whatever michael jordan gets delivered to a baseball game in an alien spaceship and people are not asking enough questions (laughs) I'm (laughs) i'm just saying so anyways The five players who got their ability stolen are in a gym in this next scene and they're wallowing in their misery when Michael Jordan and Stan show up with their talent trapped inside that basketball. They're freaked out because the ball is glowing and they don't want to touch it, but they really don't have nothing to lose and they've tried everything. So they're like, whatever, let's just try this. And so Patrick Ewing is the first person to touch it and then all five of them touch the ball and they do this little wiggly thing to symbolize them the, their power's returning to them and then they get their talent back and they start playing again and they start doing tricks and they're dunking and they're, you know, handling the ball and X, Y, and Z. And they're like, Oh, we're back. Um, and they're super excited. Okay. And so they start playing again and they taunt Michael Jordan and apparently just taunting Michael Jordan gets him to do stuff in this movie. (laughs) And they try to taunt him into playing a game of three-on-three and the scene switches and the movie ends with Michael Jordan returning to the Chicago Bulls team and flying like an eagle into the future. And yeah, that's the movie. Okay. So is Space Jam worth a rewatch? I would say yes. If you have small children or if you need something to play in the background while you're doing chores or whatever, In general, this movie only kind of holds up as a kid's movie because of the slapstick humor, but it's not necessarily as entertaining as an adult. That's at least what I found when I rewatched it. Um, A lot of other movie reviews say this as well. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 43% from critics and a 63% from regular folks. I feel like the movie is a you had to be there movie Because without the context of the 1996 sports game and Looney Tunes, I think it could be harder for younger people to watch it and understand why this movie is so funny and why it's such a big deal. So I have nieces and nephews that range from ages like one to seven. And I don't know if they actually know who the Looney Tunes are. I'm not, you know, I'm not around them very often because I live pretty far. But I feel like they're out here watching Cocoa Melon or uh bubble yuppies or puppy what's the puppy rescue? Rescue pups, whatever. <laughs> I I I don't know the puppies. Anyways, I feel like they're watching those types of cartoons and that maybe Looney Tunes is not on their radar anymore. So the humor has changed a little bit and I'm, I don't know if they would really grasp the type of humor that's in this movie. So I could see myself watching the movie with my nieces and nephews just to see if they laugh, if they get the humor, if they uh, find the movie entertaining but I won't be re-watching it anytime soon, okay? So overall, Space Jam is one of those movies that lives in a special place in my memory. It's almost remembering like a fun time that you had as a kid, maybe like you went to camp for the summer and then you take a look at the pictures from when you were at camp and you're like, I look miserable <laughs> or I forgot about the time that that bee got in my bonnet. And sometimes rewatching or reseeing or revisiting something reminds you that maybe it wasn't as good as what you actually remembered. And sometimes the only way for things to stay sacred in your mind is if they stay in your mind. So I will let Space Jam live rent-free in my six-year-old inner child's memory, and I'm going to keep it that way. Thanks so much for listening to the very first episode of Sub Media Reviews. Please share your thoughts on Space Jam on our social media pages. In the next episode, we'll be talking about the 1996 film Matilda. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Submedia Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Submedia Reviews and on submediareviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So until next time, peace out, home slices.